You believe that story? You believe that? He said there was something in it for me, on my own. I've always taken care of you, Fredo. Taken care of me? You're my kid brother and you take care of me? Did you ever think about that? Did you ever once think about that? Send Fredo off to do this, send Fredo off to do that. Let Fredo take care of some Mickey Mouse nightclub somewhere. Send Fredo to pick somebody up at the airport. I'm your older brother, Mike, and I was stepped over. That's the way Pop wanted it. It ain't the way I wanted it. I can handle things. I'm smart. Not like everybody says. Like dumb. I'm smart, and I want respect. Ah, yes. Welcome, my friends, to Cut to Black, a Soprano sit-down. I think we all have a little Fredo inside of us. We're all smart, and we're not dumb, like people say. Uh, my name is Jim Scampoli, and I haven't seen The Godfather 2 in over 10 years. My name is Jacob Burrows, and I'm smart, not dumb, like people say, and I haven't seen The Sopranos part. Uh, the Sopranos? Jesus. I've seen every episode of The Sopranos. I want to be clear on this. I'm going to take every chance I can't say it, um, and I have now... Watch The Godfather Part 2 for the first time in about 10 years. We're checking back in with Part 2. Um, Jim, any initial thoughts you uh, have? Uh, do you want to get in some facts about the, the sequel? Or where do you want to start this discussion? Well, um, I do want to say... Well, actually, before we get into The Godfather, uh, I do want to hit up top that we did get a review... And we also got an email as well. So I want to check in with this email first. Um, I just had it. Where did I put it? God damn me. <laughs> there it is. Well, I'll do the review first if you want. <laughs> no, I got it. Um, from from Locke. He actually has a podcast called Say Hello, Say Hello to the Bad Guy. Here's your free plug, Locke. I hope you actually listen to the show. I think you do. Uh, big fan of the show. Love the Godfather episode. I started my own podcast less than a year ago that we call it a comedy slash criminal history where we cover different gangsters and criminals. They do cover Lenny Montana, who played Luca Brazzi, um, and they got into the making of The Godfather a little bit. Um, I peeped a little bit of the show. I'm going to check out the rest. I did find out that Lenny Montana was a wrestler, which I did not know. Uh, and you know me. I'm a, I'm a mark for wrestling, Jacob. I do know this, um, and it's uh, it's an interesting sort of topic to delve further into. I feel like we might, in future episodes of Cut to Black, go more into sort of the history of real uh, mobsters and how it relates to depictions in media, because it's, you know, a topic we've gone into before, but there's just... there. More than most other genres, there's such a connection between real life and fiction because we see how depictions in fiction are affected by real life and we see how real life is affected by depictions like last time we talked about how mobsters who watched the godfather started talking differently yeah. trying to be smart not dumb <laughs> like people say not cursing as much being more sophisticated it's just a really interesting uh relationship between the two um we also got a review from boro becky who wrote my most favorite podcast ever and it's five stars um boro becky wrote although i've watched the sopranos several times rewatching along with this podcast was a wild ride the hosts and their humor kept me coming back for more uh, on a daily basis and then when they made their first buffy the vampire slayer <laughs> reference i knew these were my boys it's <laughs> yeah, great i found this podcast after the celebrity ones began and those have been on hold for me ever since i just finished cut to black today i might have to do a real listen to avoid withdrawals 
That's a very nice review. Thank you for sending that. And if you would like to send a review, uh, you can do so via Apple Podcasts and we'll read it out on the air. Yeah, that's an amazing review. And I really appreciate because uh, especially the uh, I mean, we, we joked about it as we were finishing up the Sopranos because it was such great timing that, you know, uh, Michael Imperioli and uh what's his name who plays Bobby <laughs> Michael Imperioli who plays Christopher of course and Bobby started their own Talking Sopranos <laughs> podcast and then yeah. uh, uh, Adriana Laserva herself Drea DiMatteo started a podcast I'm sure there's another one David Chase probably got one uh, and obviously those are great but I do feel like it, it, it feels like ours can fit in well with those because you know we have our own perspective and more from a viewer perspective and just breaking down story and they can get into stuff like, you know, uh, behind the scenes. I mean, if yeah. if uh, if Bobby Bacala can ever stop interrupting um, uh, Christopher Moltisanti, of course. <laughs> I mean, I haven't checked out the show in a while, but when I did listen to it, uh, Steve Sherpa, that's his name. Uh, that guy really steamrolls people and uh, he talks over people. But anyways, listen to us. Cut the black. Yeah, we we never do that, Jim, yeah. right? No, <laughs> no, no, we never no, talk no. over each other. Um, but anyways, so yes, back to, yeah, here I get it. I'm doing it now. Uh, <laughs> back to The Godfather Part 2. I want to start out by saying The Godfather Part 2 is not better than The Godfather. Obviously, mm-hmm. still an amazing movie, a classic, of course, much like The Godfather. But, I mean, everyone goes through life with this, this thought of fact, factual opinion when everyone, whenever the sequel conversation comes up, what's the sequel that's better than the original? And people are always like, well, obviously Godfather Part Two, that was better. I'm here to tell you it ain't. And again, that doesn't put anything down on the Godfather Two. I mean, the God, yeah, it doesn't put the Godfather Two down at all. But watching them like this close recently, I'm like, it's like you know, the Godfather's an A plus, and the Godfather Part Two's an A. You know. But there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I guess it shocked my world because I was one of those people that went through life whenever the sequel conversation come up. Like, of course, we got The Godfather Part 2. Of course, you got uh, Godfather Part (laughs) 3. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah. Empire Strikes Back. I was trying to think of a goofy one and nothing came to me. Oh, right. Okay. No, I was like, yeah, what universe are you in when people talk about sequels? And they're like, well, obviously Godfather Part 2, because I've I haven't even heard that opinion that widely. I, you know, people say that about Star Wars, obviously. But my view when I looking back on when I watched it originally, I was just so confused because I a lot of stuff that's in the first film I thought was in the second and then possibly Mm. the third. And I was like, oh, all of that stuff is in the first film. Um, the interesting thing about part two is obviously that it's both a sequel and a prequel. Like it, yeah. it does both. So uh, I don't blame myself for confusing the timelines that much on what's in what film. Um, but I, in, in essence, I agree with you. I think I said last time that the first uh, first film is a masterpiece. The second film is a very, very good film. And the third film we'll get to. But, so so <laughs> yeah. you, you, you haven't lived through life where everyone brings up The Godfather 2 as one of the main sequels that's better than the original? Uh, I just haven't been having those conversations. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm not making this up. I know a big, a big part of where I'm coming from, though, is in Scream 2. Uh, okay. In Scream 2, <laughs> where they... 
they keep saying the Godfather Two is better than Godfather, but no, this is a real thing. I swear, I okay. swear it's a real no, thing. No, I, I, I do believe you. I just and, haven't lived that experience. And you know why? Maybe, maybe personally, why my opinion's different because I do feel like I was that person for a long time, where I thought it was better. It's, it's the fact that putting it at the time when it came out, I'm sure a prequel, an idea of a prequel, was more of a novel concept. Uh, I mean, I still think it's a great idea the way it's, um, you know, parallel and it plays through the movie. So it's not just a straight prequel, but we have so many prequels now that it's old hat that, you know, of course, we're going to see young Clemenza. Like, you know, it was almost a four. It, like nowadays, if the Godfather just came out two years ago and then Godfather 2 came out, we'd be like, yeah. Young Clemenza, of course. What, what, what are you talking about? We're going to hear about everyone. And then we're also going to see, uh, we're going to see, you know, Michael's grandkid uh, in the future. Like, because every property now, we have to see them either as really young or we have to then meet their children. I mean, we're at the point where Borat, I'm, I'm timing this uh, podcast now, Borat 2 is out and we're hanging out with Borat's daughter. For oh, speaking of sequels that are better than, than the original, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. I cannot believe how good it is. Uh, so I, I, that was a big thing to me is that I, I feel like maybe at the time and maybe just underestimating audiences, I don't know, the way they were like, maybe their minds were more blown of like, oh, wow, we're, we're this happened before that. Yeah, because it because <laughs> well, it, it, it suffers a little bit like looking at it from a modern lens because it's so cornball now when you see prequels. And it's like, even to an extent, I mean, we've, we've done, we've talked for hours about Cobra Kai. If you go to, um, no mercy Cobra Kai kickback, we have a podcast there discussing that show, which is great by the way, but they'll do, you know, they'll have the wax on wax off joke where he's like, anyway, you want me to wipe these windows? No, I don't give a shit. Um, but in this one, it's like when De Niro as young Vito is like, you know, Hey, I'll make him an offer. You can't refuse. But at back then, they're like, Wah! "Oh my god, <laughs> that's okay, what he so said." What it. you're saying is, people, when it comes to sequels, we have a certain fatigue because there's so many sequels yes. and prequels now that we always expect there to be like a reference mining the same material over and over. So we're kind of tired of it. Uh, I, I get where you're coming from, for sure, um, but I think it's also possibly to do with like the reason why people think it's better might be that two is a bit more complex mm. uh but i don't think that's necessarily to its benefit like i like both yeah um but we talked about in our discussion of the first film how it's so simple like it's uh so deceptively simple the plot and everything and there are scenes where we keep expecting subversions but they're just playing it straight they're just making good scenes stick together and make a good story and i really think that that's a strength of the first film because it's such a strong story and uh, I'm sure we'll get into it in more detail, but like the ending of The Godfather um, is so good. And you compare it to the ending of The Godfather Part 2. And your my reaction was honestly like, oh, that's it? Oh, the, I guess we're ending it here. Compare the ending of The Godfather where he literally becomes, like it's so on the nose, but it's so good. He literally becomes The Godfather to this child while hits are being taken out he's taken out yep. everyone in one the same day there's a big montage about it such a powerful like scene and sequence and you compare that to the godfather part two that's more complex 
and they're doing more and it ends with a flashback and him kind of sitting there smoking and then we go back to the present and he's just kind of sitting there and we're you know we're like oh wow it's so complex but also it's not as powerful necessarily but i can see how if that, all of that hits perfectly for you as a viewer i can see where you might think two is better but yeah. for me i i just I just think one is pretty much perfect. And to go in that's that shot at the end of him sitting there to tie it to Sopranos, it did remind me. I mean, there's many shots of Tony like that. I mean, there's the yeah, one yeah. when he's out there with the gun waiting for the bear and he's like just smoking a cigar. Uh, but the for whatever reason, the one that first flashed in my head is when he's sitting on the dock when they're at that vacation house. And then Janice yeah. is looking at, like after the fight. And then Janice is like, I know that look. Like, I know he's got, he, he like, the wheels are spinning and bad shit's about to happen. And yeah. tying it back to what you're talking about with the ending, and I think one of the reasons why it's not as impactful, or at least, like, the way the very ending is, is because, in a way, I mean, not to criticize Francis Ford Coppola, who's a legend, but we're like covering the same ground in a lot of ways as the Godfather, because that was my question throughout the movie as I'm watching is I'm like, so what, what am I supposed to think here? Am I supposed to think that Michael is, you know, fighting against his destiny? Is he delving into deeper depths? I mean, I guess he is because essentially it's all about him losing his family, but I don't know. It just feels like we're covering the same ground because we talked about it when we were talking about The Godfather of like, am I supposed to think that Michael is this this guy that had a chance, that had a chance to not be infected with this putrid Corleone uh, genes, you know what I mean? But throughout yeah. the, like, but he plays it. I mean, Al Pacino's obviously great in these movies, but he plays it very like, this is so natural and this is what's, what I'm supposed to do. This is how, this is how the Corleones are, uh, that by the end, I'm still thinking like, so am I supposed to be, uh, like surprised that he's becoming Walter White or becoming his father or, but it, and obviously like the flashback is supposed to nail it home that he, tr that was him trying to get out of it, like joining the yeah. army or what, or joining, yeah, joining the army, whatever it was going off to war. And I mean, it, it never really makes an answer because one of my questions was before, like, is it war that changed him where he came back and was like, ah, war is hell. Life is hell. Uh, let's let's just do it. But I guess it's just more again. He was just like sucked into it. Uh, and it but then also was this Vito's plan all along? Like because they always talk about like, you know, your father had plans for you. Like he just knew. Michael was going to be the one and it all just kind of happened to go to plan or I don't know. What, what do you think? What are we supposed to take away from Michael's journey in this movie? Well, specifically on the last question, I think is pretty uh, stated in the films that he he had plans for Michael, but they were in the legitimate world to make him, you know, a governor or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, the Godfather Part Two starts with the governor, who's hella corrupt, like squeezing Michael uh, uh, for money. Um, so it's like you know, yeah, and he'd still be part of the family. It's I you know he was part of the efforts to legitimize the whole thing, so that which kind of fell through practically. But as far as what we're supposed to take from it, I kind of was. 
I, I kind of want to do some more reading on different people's analysis of The Godfather Part 2, what they've taken from it, because I think it's a lot more open to interpretation mm. than the first film, which makes it interesting in a way. Um, if you listening are, uh, to this podcast are like, if, if you're like shouting at your uh, podcatcher, no, it clearly means this, do feel free to email us at showswhatyouknowshow at gmail.com, because I am very interested in other people's thoughts on it uh but i would look to how it sort of came to be if we're looking behind the scenes uh puzo he started writing the script for the sequel even before the godfather was released um and the initial title was the death of michael corleone yeah uh, which was also was what they wanted to name the godfather part three they keep <laughs> wanting to do that <laughs> and the studio keeps saying don't put spoilers in your titles uh now obviously he doesn't die in this or does he is it a metaphorical death i don't know um but the whole idea for the sequel was to sort of juxtapose, I'm quoting now, but to juxtapose the ascension of the family under Vito Corleone and the decline of the family under his son, Michael. And yeah, it says from Coppola, I'd always wanted to write a screenplay that told the story of a father and a son at the same age. They were both in their 30s and I would integrate the two stories uh, in order to not make it not just make the godfather one over again i gave the godfather to this double structure by extending the story in both the past and the present pretty much just touching on what we just talked about um but yeah i i like what i saw was the godfather is like a fucking power trip right that's walter white doing all the cool shit yeah. you know <laughs> he gets what he wants he runs the family uh the godfather part 2 i kind of saw as yeah, his family, uh, his business is kind of fine by the end of it, if I remember right. I watched this a few weeks ago. But, like, the business and everything for his family, he, he beats his opponents as such, but everything he cares about kind of falls as <laughs> as if they were grains of sand between his fingers. He, he loses yeah. his actual family like so many caring nickel, for the larger family. Like so many nickels and dimes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, because, um, not to cut you off, but, like, and again, maybe it's because I'm focusing on the wrong things because I didn't see it as the decline of the family because it comes off. I mean, obviously, it's not the same as The Godfather, but it's it's similar in the way of like you were on the ropes, but in the end, it all comes together. I mean, obviously, I guess yeah. his he sacrifices his soul and like his family, like his literal family for that. So is it? A, I get that. That's like, is it a win? Not really. But yeah, it it feels like I don't know. Maybe it would have been more impactful if if well, I guess now maybe it wouldn't it wouldn't be if he lost it all. I guess there's that like own self sabotage self like prison sentence in a way of like yes you won but at what cost and now you're stuck in this crime you know this this crime uh, uh, fucking control or whatever that you have but you know is it worth it was it all worth it in the end see that's kind of what i was getting at as well that he obviously we saw in the first film how he only got into the business of the family to protect his literal family it's only when his father was under threat that he starts doing this and the godfather part two ends with him having his brother killed 
Um, and we were with him the whole way, so it kind of makes sense what he's doing. But I, I think that's the idea to show his moral decline and how that is going to affect him moving forward because he never really cared about making money, you know? He mm. cared about his family, and that's all that he's lost. And Kay, obviously, the, that whole heartbreaking storyline where uh, she claims to have had a miscarriage turns out to be an abortion and how they relate to each other and how he loses everything there. Um that's supposed to be it. With that said, I think that while they were writing that, there were pro- the original, you know, ideas. I think they probably were intending to kill him at the end of it mm. um, as well. So more of a literal fall of the family. But yeah, no, I agree. There's not really a clear decline of the business of the family. That kind of is fine at the end, despite many hurdles. Uh, but I, I think that's the point that he has completely you know, ripped his soul apart by, you know, his brother. That's like the last piece of it. And that's why it's what we end on. Um, but yeah, it's not necessarily as it, it like it, this is the payment for the power trip of the Godfather, you know? (laughs) And I guess it ties cause I was going to kind of push back a bit on the parallels to like young Vito. I guess it ties in because Vito is doing these things for his family. Um, Mm But, like, it is funny how, and, and I don't know if this is, like, a deliberate Sopranos connection or not, but, you know, they talk about how young Vito is, like, a simple-minded, like, kind of idiot because he doesn't talk and everything. And it, it just reminds me of when... AJ? Yeah, AJ, or even <laughs> in Sopranos when we see young Tony as well. And it, it's interesting to see how, you know, like, oh, of course, the, this you know, person you wouldn't expect grows to be like such a genius, but it's just, it's weird. Kind of keep checking back in with Vito and how he has this rise to power. But, um, I don't feel like there's a lot of like friction there. It's just kind of like a foregone conclusion, but like, how does he become so like, like a genius at crime? Like, is it just because he watches people and, takes it in and thinks for his family. Like, I don't know. Like, cause at the beginning he's kind of, uh, what? Like he, you know, he's understanding he gets fired because they, they need to, his job. He won't even take when the guy tries to give him food and stuff, he won't take it. And, but then it gets to the point where then he's just getting a rug <laughs> from Clemenza and he's like, all right, well, I'll take the rug. I, I, I don't know. I guess I just didn't, I, I love it because I love seeing De Niro and the way his take on Brando's take on Vito as being the young version of that. And I love mm. the like the when he kills that boss there, like with the takes the light bulb out and everything. I just as far as the way as a narrative, I was just getting lost. And maybe it's my dumb modern brain where I feel like well, what's the impetus to this? Should he have a moment where he, it all, like we see that it's all coming together in his head and we, he becomes a, a crime genius? Uh, or should it just play out the way it does? I mean, maybe I'm just overcomplicating it, but some of the like narrative portions of that, as far as like friction and push and pull, it just felt like, oh, he just, you know, got more and more power. He did right by the people and they liked him and then he became boss, clearly. Yeah, it's interesting because it does feel like the film is making a statement about him having these innate qualities, right? Kind of like the putrid soprano gene. Yeah. Uh, well, not not really, but like this, that it's just in his blood. It kind of feels like, because it's all about family and all, it goes with the theme, but 
that's what we do see with Michael. I don't think it was the war that changed him as he came back. He just discovered that he had in him the capacity of doing these things and found himself in a situation where he had to do it. Um, So it kind of feels like in this world, in this family, some people just have this fucking badass, uh, hard-ass <laughs> quality, yeah. you know? Um, and maybe that's partially from, you know, the opening scenes, obviously, in Sicily, where they like his mother begs for his life to this dawn and everything. Uh, it, it, maybe that's formative for him in, in that. But yeah, he's the guy who just watches. And you're right, there's no clear moment like... Uh, you know, Michael's non-shaky hands with the cigarettes in the first film. There's no clear moment like that necessarily. Um, And maybe it would have benefited from that. But I think it maybe ties in with, it feels like Vito and his rise, there is no real cost for him, you know? Because Michael, we go way into like how this is all horrible for his soul and everything. Vito seems fine, (laughs) like throughout (laughs) the whole thing. And there's no clear payment. And I'm like thinking maybe... There isn't a payment for him and his soul because he's doing it for the right reasons, right? He is looking out for the neighborhood, etc., etc. He's actually a good guy mobster, in quotes. Um, it feels like it's kind of maybe making that statement. But going back to Michael, he was originally also getting into it for the right reasons, you know? And I, I feel like the point of most gangster depictions is that it fucking tears at you and, you know, breaks you down over time. So I'm honestly not sure. For me, with Vito and his flashbacks, I am just so into it for, like, the setting and the depiction. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of people are. Yeah. Like, if we're looking at the very first bit of the film where he's uh, immigrating into the U.S., like, that's so, like that's such a big part of the American myth of people coming over. And that is the best depiction of it that I've ever seen. Like, and the clearest one and the one that's probably the most ingrained in people's mind because it's such a popular film. So, uh, and that goes throughout for Vito's storyline, the, the, you know, the story of an immigrant coming over, making something of himself. Not since Hamilton have we seen it so well (laughs) depicted. Uh, I joke, but like, it's so like visually fun and interesting, but it does feel like there's maybe not as much psychologically going on there because as you said there's a foreground conclusion we know he's going to be pretty much fine and we know what state of mind he's going to be in later in life right um so yeah (laughs) but yeah i the the ellis island stuff what what a great open um and i love i love just in general i mean they did it in godfather part one as well like the small thing of how people are constantly like saying their names wrong like, because, yes. like, with the first communion, when he's calling him, like, Vito Corleone. And, I mean, of course, then we have the Alice Island where, you know, they're like, v- Vito Corleone? Okay, Vito Corleone it is. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's great stuff. Um, uh, the other things, like, going back a little bit to, I guess this isn't, like, prequel stuff, but kind of silly stuff that happens when I guess you're doing a historical thing or a prequel, but this is more like when they're in Cuba and they keep having lines of like, nothing will ever go wrong. <laughs> like this, <Yes>. this, <laughs> this is great. So like this would never, like this could never go, this could never go bad. This is where we're going to make all the money. But even like, but of course they have to have Michael be like, well, what if, you know, uh, what if I the don't rebels know. I've win? been heard about these rebels. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, no, no, this is great. The, this is going to be bigger than U.S. Steel. Uh, it's hard not to 
roll your eyes a little bit at some of that stuff, but at least they have it play out in the movie. I thought it was just going to be more of a thing that like, they just, they're winking at us, the audience, like, ha ha. Right. But at least it does play out, uh, as part of, part of the narrative. Um, but yeah, I guess you're right. Going back to the, the parallel with young Vito, it is mostly just vibes. They're going for the vibes with that, for, for sure. It's great vibes. They got make everything real orange, you know, because that's how you know it's old or in Sicily. Yeah. <laughs> Just color correct the shit out of it. Uh, we do have to, of course, call out um, Uncle June as Johnny Ola. Yeah. Uh, and again, like, I didn't... I, I think I messaged you about this because I was like, wait a minute, because I didn't recognize him, but yeah. uh, the voice, once I like, once he was talking, even in that first scene, I was like, oh, that's fucking, that's Dominic Chianese, or however you say his last name, Junior Soprano himself. And, and even like knowing the voice, I had to like look and squint a little bit because, you know, obviously what, it's 40 years ago, 50 years ago? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but nice to see that. I have read that. Um, Polly Tony Sirico is supposed to be in the movie. I don't know if that's a wise old wives tale or if he's just like an extra because he doesn't have necessarily like a speaking role. But I've heard people bandy about that he's somewhere in The Godfather too. Mm, I did not uh, hear that, but yeah, about Johnny Ola, I didn't realize either. <laughs> and we both watched every episode of The Sopranos, and we didn't realize. But there is that voice. I think he's even on the phone with Fredo, right? And when you listen to that back to that phone call, you're like, "That's fucking June." <laughs> now it's so it's pretty cool. And going into the movie as well, like, uh, like going by memory, like I forgot all of this stuff with like congress, like Senate hearings or congressional hearings or whatever that's happening. Like, to yeah. me, the ending is just, like, the Fredo stuff. Because yeah. even, like, with, you know, uh, the, the the classic quotable line is, like, I know it was you, Fredo, and he kisses him, and you, bro- you broke my heart. I'm like, oh, shit, this movie's almost over. And then I look at it, it's, like, an hour and a half left. I was like, oh, all right, where are we going from here? Uh, and I, I, I was reading a little bit about that, that, like, they based it off of, like, some real congressional hearings that were going on at the time where, who was the, let me look, there was, it was like a particular senator or someone that really did it, but it was most, nothing came from it. And it was mostly about that guy trying to put his name out there, become, because he was going to be on TV. Uh, and it was all about making a bigger name for himself so he can run for president, basically. Mm. Uh, but it's always interesting because when they lay those out, because it was framed exactly like real news hearings they weren't doing like any like cinematic tricks that much with those scenes like it was just kind of like the the angle shot angle shot and it's always the back and forth and usually when that happens i'm zoning out because i'm like all right what are we watching fucking c-span right now uh uh, what's going on here yeah it is kind of something that comes out of nowhere in the film i think it does serve its purpose for the story internally but i also agree that it's not as memorable as a lot of the stuff going on there's just not that much that sticks out that for for that like all the stuff with hyman roth is pretty interesting but it's also not like no one talking about the godfather's like and do you remember hyman roth and when they had that yeah, talk like yeah. in the room you're like no i don't remember any of that and there is a fair bit of that going on um 
But like, I think there's a, a few connections that would have been to to part one that would have been a bit different. Where like, obviously, uh, Frank Pantagli, Pantagli, Pantagliani. Oh yeah, Frankie. That guy. Yeah, yeah, Frankie. You know that guy. Like he was, and I think it's pretty obvious if you're watching. He was supposed to be Clemenza, right? Clemenza was supposed to be in this film as that guy, and. Th- if we're talking about the behind the scenes of the filming, there's so much drama in The Godfather because there was this push and pull between Paramount and Coppola and, and like so many disagreements on this. And then in uh, for part two, they were kind of like, well, part one was uh, like everyone loved it. So like, j- just let him do whatever he wants. So Francis Ford Coppola got to do pretty much whatever he wanted. So the only sort of drama to report behind the scenes is with the casting where the guy who played Clemenza was supposed to come back but didn't come back. A lot of this is about the money, where people wanted was, a lot more money. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, so I assume, like, money issues then? I think that was it, unless I have it confused. Um, let me see. Because uh, I have it here. Uh, yeah, he declined to... Uh, oh, yeah, he wanted to uh, write the character's dialogue in the film. He wanted to write his own oh, dialogue, geez. and they couldn't get an agreement on that. Uh, so that plot, they just put this new character, Frankie, in there, uh, who does a great job, but it just kind of disconnects it a bit from the whole prequel-sequel thing where you could have had that character developed in the past and then see what happens in the present with it. Uh, but instead, he's introduced as like a connection to you know the old-school mob life. Yeah, uh, Marlon Brando was supposed to be in it as well, like in the flashback in the end. Um, he was supposed to come in. Uh, I'm sure he but- wanted to write his own dialogue or do some other shit as well. <laughs> Actually, I think until the actual day, right, he just felt mistreated by the board at Paramount. He just didn't show up for, he was only supposed to be there for like one day of shooting. He didn't show up. Uh, So Coppola rewrote the scene that same day. Well, Uh, I don't know if you've, uh, I I mean, this is still related because it's Coppola, but have you seen Hearts of Darkness, the the documentary about Apocalypse Now? Highly recommend it. Listeners, Jacob Burrows. Please watch Hearts of Darkness. It's the greatest like behind the scenes making of a movie documentary ever. Because even like uh, Coppola's wife put it together, so she, even to the point where she would secretly record him like audio, like of, of like them discussing. Because like it's it's classic making a movie, but everything goes wrong type shit. Even to yeah. the point where like he's still writing it while they're trying to shoot, and he's going crazy himself, and he's confiding in her saying like i'm making a bad movie this is gonna destroy my career but getting into brando brando is uh he he's a problem any chance he gets uh like just for no reason for no reason (laughs) he is making problems so i imagine maybe it's a similar situation again i'm speculating just based off that where like when they're making it, you know, Marlon's supposed to show up and he doesn't show up. So again, you know, tying into what you're talking about here with Godfather 2, or he's making demands. Now he does. He only wants to be shot in silhouette. He doesn't want his face to be shown at all, like partially because he gained some weight or something like that. And then again, he doesn't like the script, so he wants to do his own lines. He wants to just roll camera and ad lib for a while and then find the scene like (laughs) it's so hilarious and i almost wonder like in his mind is it is this an actual process like is this how he finds a character 
or is he just fucking with people because he knows he can fuck with them because he's like, well, I'm Marlon Brando. I can do whatever I want. I might as well. Uh, but, you know, somewhat tangent but related. Highly recommend. Uh, it's such a great watch. Yeah. And uh, on that as well, like James Kahn, who played Sonny, he is in the flashback, right, at the end. That's the only scene yes. he's in. He got paid the same amount for that scene that he did for the whole first film. Wow. So, like, that's the thing that happens when something's a huge success. It's great for Coppola because he he gets to decide what's happening, gets to make it a smoother process. But, like, uh, yeah, people are going to want to be uh, compensated accordingly. Well, And uh, they... They uh, did for some people and not for others. <laughs> well, but going to Clemenza, like, I would understand if he just wanted money. And I feel like, yeah. from what you're saying, it's almost like they would have agreed. They would have paid him what they paid him for the first movie or probably even more. Again, I'm speculating. But when then you're like, well, I want to write my own, like, dialogue. Then they're like, all right, come on. Yeah. Like, that I don't understand. I understand if you're like, hey, give me money. This is a big, this is a big movie. Uh, the last movie was a big movie. This one's going to be even bigger. Uh, uh, let me. We must be able to wet our beaks. Because uh, I'm reading through his thing now, too. Because the actor that played Clemenza is uh, Richard Castellano. His widow says, I mean, I don't know if they were able to verify this or not. His widow says he's the, the nephew of Gambino crime boss Paul Castellano. Um, and uh, so I'm wondering, like, is that his like impetus for being like, oh, well, I know this stuff, so I should be able to write my own dialogue. I guess it is noted that leave the gun, take the cannoli was partially ad libbed by him. So maybe that kind of gave him a big head as well. Like, oh, come on, I'm coming up with the best lines here. <laughs> well, let me just do my thing. Yeah, I mean, it has a real feeling of Christopher Maltesanti to it, doesn't it? Where he's like, <laughs> yes. no, I know this life, I, and that means I know writing. <laughs> but you don't. Uh, well, I mean, it's for his own sake, you know, he was in The Godfather in 1972. Maybe he wasn't in The Godfather Part 2, but at least he was uh, Lieutenant Tonelli in Night of the Juggler that came out in 1980, his very next film. Um, so Night of the Juggler, a <laughs> yeah. neo-noir uh, action crime drama exploitation thriller. Sweet. Um, so he was in that instead. And you know what? I'm sure he did a great job in it. It does also note that he um, clashed with Coppola over the idea that Clemenza would become a traitor. So he didn't like that either. And he had disagreed. That's such a real mob-like film as well. Like, yeah. no, my character would never be a rat. <laughs> well, like, and, oh, okay. And I, again, I don't know if this is just rumors or how much truth there is to that, but Tony Sirico played Pauly. It said that he agreed to do the part, but he made David Chase promise that Pauly would not be a rat. Yeah. And I guess Pauly was kind of a rat, but not like to the police. He was just a rat to like everyone else like just tell it <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know yeah. talking shit all the time causing problems <laughs> so maybe that was kind of their middle ground they found uh and i guess they also had disagreements about uh or disagreements or confusion over how much weight he was expected to lose for the role because again they were probably like all right you gotta lose weight bro if you want to be in this movie you gotta be you gotta look like gq clemenza <laughs> i wonder if they wanted him to play the young version of him as well um yeah, not. that'd be weird. Know. Shout out to Bruno Kirby, who played uh, young Clemenza. Um, he's yeah. just one of those dudes you see in like movies all the time. He's just one of those classic character actors. That's true. Yeah, no, I, I did. Re he does not look like old Clemenza to me, really. Yeah. Um, and the, I was like, where do I know him from? He's like, you know, you know, when Harry met Sally, he's just got that mustache going there and everything. But anyway, um, 
yeah, that's kind of my notes on the behind the scenes. I don't have loads of uh, insight into it. It seems to have been a pretty, pretty uh, smooth filming process, relatively speaking. Um, it, what else should we get into, Jim? Well, I mean, yeah, we kind of gone in and out on the story. I mean, I assume going back to my VHS tape, this was a double tape. I assume the intermission is where tape one ends. I don't have the same memory that I had with Godfather one of where tape one ends. Uh, I did think it was interesting how it had an intermission, but I mean, obviously we're, we're watching on digital now. So it's just like a second like, Oh, intermission. All right. We're back to the film. Um, and it, it is a clear cut cause it's right after when Vito kills Don Finucci. And then we kind of, we just drop back in. That's why going back to like the, senate committee hearing it does feel like it's out of nowhere because it's, it's almost like we're watching episode three or something now we just yeah. watched the first two episodes of a show and here we are on episode episode three uh we mentioned him a bit at the end of our last discussion but um shoot i just had him up uh yeah john Cazale as um as fredo like he's so good He's, uh, mm -hmm. he's also, I believe he's a fellow mass hole. Um, yeah, he's from Boston, Massachusetts. So you can hear it coming out when he's yelling about how he's smart. Because that's, when I think of Godfather 2, that's the first scene I think of. I don't know if that's the same with everyone else. I, probably it is like the, the kiss, you know. I know it was you, Fredo, was a big one. Obviously, the, the assassination of Don Finucci in the hallway is a great one. But to me, it's the I'm smart. And maybe <laughs> I just relate to it too much. Or I'm like, come on, I'm not dumb. <laughs> come on uh and and again like going back i guess what we're talking about with the corley like the putrid corleone gene i guess it's weird how it i mean if we look at Vito's sons we have sonny who's like a hothead i guess because sonny's got a little bit of michael in him but he's a hothead that was his big thing he's always just like flying off the handle and it did that was his demise they knew how to push his buttons to get him to like rush out and then they ambushed him but then poor fredo like how does that happen? He just is becomes kind of, you know, is he the oldest or no? Sonny's the um, oldest because yeah, we think see Sonny's the oldest. But yeah, I forget. I just know Fredo was the older brother, but you but know, he was even brother. sick as a baby. Like they even like point like poor Fredo just had the like the worst luck no matter what. Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess that's just, you know, I think everyone can relate to that, whether it be family or group of friends, whatever, you feel like you're a step behind sometimes and, you know, you're getting the bad luck. Uh, but I just think he's, he's so great. And even like, even though, I, again, like not seeing the movie in a decade, like I remembered his betrayal as like a bigger deal. Yeah. And it's not like it was, it's more innocent. And I still think of Fredo as innocent. I guess that's why it's such a climax that he's murdered at the end. Uh, and even like how stupid he is where he's going along like, yeah, I've never met Johnny Ola in my life. And two minutes later, he's like, yeah, Johnny Ola took me here at the, for where they're watching like the, the crazy cock man, fuck a lady yeah. or whatever in Cuba. <laughs> oh yeah. Of course. Yeah. Johnny Ola showed me this place. It's like, dude, you can't even keep your story straight for like five minutes. Yeah. He's so bad at uh, what he does, but he's so believable as being that bad at, everything as well so it does really work uh really well and uh for me the scene that comes to mind is like fucking michael looking out the window at the end and like the theme yeah. tune playing and whatever um that that always brings to mind but like 
yeah, Fredo's uh, Fredo's excellent in it, and as you say, his betrayal is just partially him being that dumb and bad is why it happens. It's not necessarily vindictive. It's just like I they promised me something something of my own, and it's he's basically the guy answering the scammer's email to get money <laughs> yeah. because he's just dumb enough to think <laughs> yeah. that that's how it's gonna work. And Michael knows that, but also he did betray him, and like is he's about to get killed for it. Uh, so, yeah, it's just a, I don't know, a lot of genes skipped that generation. Like, it's like they got it right on the youngest kid, on Michael. It all came together where where Sonny got the hothead genes and Fredo got yeah. the dumb genes and then yeah. the right genes got passed on in the end. Yeah, and um, I mean, I, I, and again, like, not seeing it in so long, it plays out differently, like, the way I remember it. Like, because I remember it, you know, of course, the when Michael puts it all together and then he just, you know, takes Fredo out because of it. But they, the way it lingers. And of course he makes the promise that nothing will happen to him as long as his mother's alive. And then even just that cut to the fact that she's dead. Now you like, there's that dread you already know. Like it's like, but, but of course Fredo's Fredo. So he doesn't put it together. He just thinks, Oh, now everything's good again. And They really make it hurt because they have him hanging out. Is is Michael's son also Michael? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because you so. know when he's fishing with them and he says a hail mary. Ah, uh, I mean it's it's sad because I do feel like again I guess going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, like the not that I feel like Michael Corleone's soul was wasn't already like gone by the end of the first yeah. Godfather, but like that fully diminishes anything coming back i guess because i do see fredo as just an innocent uh you know not not like a like the way tony would say you know soldiers soldiers kill other soldiers it's not it's not the same and but i also guess when you're watching a mob movie and you're in the mind of michael corleone you understand that he also is a liability uh just being himself so but anyways yeah john casale we all should just do like a john casale podcast we'd only have to do like five episodes we watched the Godfather trilogy. We watched the Conversation, and we watched Dog Day Afternoon and the Deer Hunter. The Deer Hunter is another movie I need to revisit. Uh, it's one of those I've seen it, but I don't know if I've seen it like in one sitting all the way through. Uh, but great, great, great actor, uh, taken away way too soon. Yeah, um, and so like coming up, coming back around to the ending now because we've kind of gone through the plot a little bit. You know the. The father's storyline, Vito's storyline, ends with him doing a classic journey and a return. He comes back to Sicily as the big guy, kills the crime boss that killed his parents, and drives off. And it's kind of... And Michael's there, right? They're on the train, heading out of Sicily, and he's waving his son's arm or what have you, you know? And that's kind of referenced again. I think the start of the film is super clear in the contrast between the two timelines, right? Because we start with him be with Vito being totally on his own a child in quarantine topical yes. in uh, <laughs> on Ellis Island like and and then in and then we cut to like his grandson's 
uh, First Communion, which is a big fucking affair, like <laughs> enormous party for yeah. just the First Communion. Um, so that contrast is so clear. Now, as the film goes on, we're supposed to see the decline in one storyline and the rise in the other, which we kind of do. This is kind of the successful ending to Vito's storyline. I don't see any pain in his eyes. Oh, what have I done? He's just like, yeah, revenge. Revenge is good, kids. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's the works. message I get there. That's true. Um, and then we cut to back to the normal storyline where uh, their mother has died and Fredo's there and all the stuff we just went through happens and Fredo gets killed. Um, so I suppose, I don't know what to read into it, right? But the the contrast isn't as clear at the ending of like success and failure in the two timelines. They just kind of meet up and Michael is just kind of thinking about it all as he's sitting there, right? But I guess my read on it is that you know, Vito expresses his revenge. He kills the guy who kills, you know, whatever. And he gets the success from it. And that's the same thing. He, it's a positive for him. Same with Michael at the end of the first film. It's a positive. He gets control of the family and can protect those he cares about. Maybe the point of it is that violence inherently eventually leads to violence because without that murder that Vito does in Sicily, without him setting up his empire, you know, Fredo could have just been... Fredo and Michael and Sonny could have just been regular kids. Yeah. Joe Schmoes. But because of the choices made by Vito, his children end up killing each other. So it's it's a success for him all the way through. He, he lives in a positive. But if we're looking at a broader statement of what this type of family means for your actual family, uh, it's the like cause and effect from there. That's why his children end up actually murdering each other, right? So I guess that's supposed to be what Michael's sitting there thinking about in his Tony Soprano chair looking out at the lake. I think that that's a great read. Uh, I think <laughs> thanks. That, I came up with it just now on the fly. That's great because uh, I no, I, I I fully I completely agree, and I like looking at it that way. Is that yeah? He gets this small victory, and it feels like you know uh, this this was the right thing to do, and I, it was the right thing by my family. But it does basically plant the seed for their demise. Um, and you know, the, the, yeah, the loss of his children and then basically, uh, his, uh, his youngest son's soul, uh, to an extent, because my thing that I'm just going to bring up is how, like, uh, how some of these plans are like, like, uh, when he kills, uh, when they, re- when he returns and kills the guy, when he kills, yeah, Don, um, oh wait, no, that's not Don Finucci. Um, uh, when he kills the guy in Corleone. They, um, yeah, the way they just like try to run away, <laughs> but it's yeah, like yeah. getting shot at. Like, one of the guys gets killed, but it also reminds me of when they kill Hyman Roth. Like, who's that guy that had to go up in the crowd to kill Hyman Roth and then immediately get murdered? Like, <laughs> right after, did he think that he was out on a did he think he this was going to be a good way to go about this? I feel like everyone else was like, he's taking a hit for the family. He's doing what's right. And he was like, I'm going to be fine. I'm invincible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Don, uh, Don Chichi or Cicio, however you say it. But yeah, that's who he gets revenge on. But um, yeah, no. And, and again, I guess that we see that tying it back to some of these plans that don't quite work out. It is obviously like the cycle of violence. It's, it's, it's just going to keep amping up. It's just going to keep going. And even with this Hyman Roth thing, because what even Tom's telling him, like, look at this point, you know, he's he's gonna be he's he's dying. He can't go anywhere. 
Uh, but I do like Michael's like, yeah, he's been dying from that heart attack for a decade. I don't trust yeah. it. I don't trust <laughs> medical science. Are you kidding me? I'm not gonna wear a mask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, very, very true. And uh, on that uh, plan where they're running away after killing the guy in Sicily, it's like it's one of those prequel things, right? Because I'm pretty sure one of the guys who gets injured there is the Don who looks after Michael, right? So he's the one yes. with the bum knee, yeah. and he's got the bad leg because of that. Yeah. Well, because yeah, <laughs> even sure that—that's that's right. Because yeah, he gets injured, and it's to the point where they like run and they have to drag him to the car. But there's still a guy like with a gun, just like pow, 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 pow. Uh, I'm like, come on, you should have a better idea for better idea than this. But it was all about that revenge. Well, they can't all be Michael Corleone getting the um, pistol in the toilet, you know, planning <laughs> it all out. Uh, it doesn't always oh. work out. As we also see, like, there's a go- we, we haven't gone into all of it. There's a lot of great mob shit in this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, all the stuff with Frankie and the dealings in New York where he's trying to petition Michael to help out. And then the totally botched murder there because a policeman randomly comes in like, hey, you guys open? <laughs> right yeah, as they're, right. like, saying, Michael Corleone sends his regards, but he's not actually the one who's murdering him and that's why he later turns on him like all this fucking intrigue is just like it feels like the stuff that has to be in this kind of film because that's what we want and expect it's all the stuff that david chase is like fuck you i'm not putting any of this in <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> but it's just great to see you know we love and, to see it and then the last thing i wanted to, i did want to touch back on before we finish up is uh is k it, so yeah. k is kind of like the original or i mean i'm sure maybe there's been characters like this beforehand but the original like Skylar White in a way where mm. she's basically correct. Like she's right. I mean, thoughts on abortion, what have you, but she was, she, the way she looked at it, she was doing the right thing. I mean, number one to fully sever ties with Michael, but number two, like she was trying to protect her family because she saw the way things were going and going back to the cycle of violence. This is just going to continue now with her children and they're going to come up in this family and it's just going to it's going to keep going. But I, I have to imagine there are people that watch the movie. and They're like, oh, you dumb bitch. You know what I mean? Like like the way yeah. they did with a Skylar White and to a lesser extent, maybe like a Carmilla Soprano or whatever, where it's, you know, sometimes you might think of it as like, ah, the, the nagging wife. But she's right. I mean, you can argue that she shouldn't have been in the situation for as long as she has. She kind of saw the way things were going, but at the very least she was trying to make attempts to get away from this. And, you know, things were getting to past the point of no return and she was trying to protect her family. But, you know, uh, they pull me every time I get out, they pull me back in. I imagine. Uh, we'll get into that, I'm sure, Yeah, uh, in the next one. But uh, yeah, no, you're right. It's always that balance where she is correct, uh, but it's that balance of this is wish fulfillment, right? We're living out dark fantasies of being a mob guy, a cool mob guy who beats all the other mob bosses because you're just so hella smart. You're good at violence and you're smart and you're Michael Corleone and your hand doesn't shake. You're the cool guy. And all of these crime films always end with, you know, everything goes to shit at the end. Even The Sopranos ends with uh, Tony Soprano getting killed. We've discussed this. It's yeah. 
what happens is it cuts to black. He dies at the end, right? Yeah, uh, he does. But the thing that's interesting is when the whole of The Sopranos is about morality and like what does it mean for someone's psychology when they keep doing bad stuff and they're just rewarded you know because <laughs> tony is a bad person knows he's a bad person but he's also like finding justifications he's we're seeing things play out in his psyche his relationship with his family it's great because it, a lot of the stuff that's kind of mm, you know, behind the scenes here in The Godfather that we we have to assume is happening in their mind. The Sopranos, just the fact that the idea of, you know, a mobster walks into a shrink's office, it's like the setup for a joke. But it's also great because all of this stuff where the hard, hard-boiled hard guy who never opens up, having to actually get to see inside his psyche is what's part of what makes The Sopranos so great. Because there's questions here where we're like, damn, I, I want to know what Michael's really yeah. thinking or what's going on in there. That's kind of what The Sopranos delivers. Um, but yeah, classically, everything has to go wrong in the end because it's a crime story. Um, and it doesn't, but it does. Yeah, yeah. And then a uh, quick side note for Sopranos. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Kristen, uh, had texted me like a week ago, like, oh, I took a Sopranos quiz and I'm Dr. Melfi. I don't know who these uh, characters are. Does that make sense? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. That's Tony Shrink. And she's like, oh, there's psychiatry in this show? I was like, how the fuck? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing about the show. You didn't even know that? Like, you should watch yeah, this show, goddammit. It's the elevator pitch. <laughs> I, I I figured at least at the very least everyone that knows like oh Sopranos that's that mob show with, where he goes to therapist because that's like the thing. But anyways, yeah. But uh, interestingly though, like that is the thing. That's kind of how it feels like they sold it. But obviously he's not even in therapy after like a that's season true, or whatever, yeah. right? And he goes back in and out. But like it becomes less about that. Uh, I remember watching the first episode. What I expected was like an episodic thing where, you know, and then in therapy, that's the voiceover for the mob adventures he goes on that week. And it's not, The Sopranos is just so much more than that. But anyway, we have hundreds <laughs> of hours of talking about The Sopranos if yeah. anyone wants to hear it. Uh, it's all on the feed. Uh I have, I, I guess uh, that that's my closing thoughts on The Godfather Part Two, Part One, masterpiece. Part Two, very, very good film. Agreed. And we'll get to Part Three. Yeah, uh, Part Three. I've never. I'm excited to watch. I've never seen it. Yeah. I just know and they pull me back in. That's I know that. <laughs> we will see. Maybe we'll wait until they release the cut, right? Because remember last time they were oh, talking that's about right. yes. making it. We'll we'll have to see. But either way, thank you for uh, listening along and hopefully watching along because you should be watching these films again, even if you've seen them before. Like I, there's so much I'd forgotten. Uh, it, it's so worth a rewatch. Um, but until next time, please do feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We very much appreciate those. Tell a friend about the show and go to showswhatyouknow.com uh, for all of our other shows, such as Real History, where we get into the historical context of uh, movies and TV. There's Blank Meets Blank, where we make up a new television show based on random hat drawings. Uh, all sorts of good stuff going on at showswhatyouknow.com. Yeah. Is there anything else, Jim? I do want to just point out, um, in case you're not aware, that... Stay on this feed because we, we are going to be updating it more semi-regularly. We're going to come through with some stuff, uh, whether it be mob films or, uh, you know, digging into other Sopranos news. I mean, we're still on the cusp, hopefully, of The Many Saints of Newark coming out or maybe hopefully a trailer soon. So we'll keep you uh, up to date on that stuff and maybe we'll dive it. We'd mentioned at the top of the show, maybe we'll dive into some other topics Sopranos related. So don't go anywhere. We're still here. And I think there's just one last thing to say. 
Oh, what's that, Jim? Cut to black. <laughs> 